When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, the most underrated voice in all media. Second hour of the Ocelli Effect continues now at Ocelli.com, but you could be listening some other time, some other place, uh, via whatever. So welcome to it, no matter who you are, where you are, or when you are. But for me, it's the second hour on Thursday, so let's get to it. And and this time, I've actually got two guys at once <laughs> on the hour, uh, and I'm really happy there's a good reason for it, because I I was kind of uh, a little bit like, wow, when I saw that uh, the Failed State Update is now being co-hosted between Joseph L. Flatley, the great author of a few interesting things out there, including... A fascinating book on uh, uh, the so-called prophet from Pittsburgh. Oh, wait, that's another podcast he did. The book has a different title. We'll get there. But he decided to bring in a co-host, I guess, uh, over on the Failed State Update. And who did he pick? Uh, Another one of my favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) J.G. Michael from Parallax Views Podcast. Now, got to mention that uh, J.G. found it necessary to oversleep last time he was booked for my show. And I told him I was going to break his balls a little bit on the show. So here it is. Um... (laughs) The guy, it was the funniest thing. I'm like, I hope JG's okay. I'm live. Hello. And I wound up taking calls that night instead and uh, finished out the show. But the plan from now on is to have either Joseph L. Flatley, JG Michael, or both on in the second hour every other Thursday. And that's how we're going to make that all-star team run for Thursdays on the Ocelli Effect. And uh, opposite them, uh, that every other Thursday they're not on, Larry Hancock. So, yeah, pretty solid analysis, interesting people, and uh, a lot of intelligence. Plus, Mike Swanson anchoring the first hour. So, Thursdays are pretty good now. I'm pleased. Not Must because Thursday. It's like when they used to have the Cosby <laughs> Show on. Yeah, I used Thursday. to. I used to do that on Tuesdays, and and uh, right out of the gate, I, we're going to get to JG too. But first thing is, yeah, I mentioned the failed state update. I mentioned the so-called profit from Pittsburgh. Um, you have a newsletter that comes out in two versions, uh, one for people that support you and one that I guess some people can get for free. Um, I get a version of that newsletter, and I was kind of stunned when I saw that you were uh, joining forces there, like a like a Marvel team-up almost, uh, with, <laughs> with J.T. Michael. So, uh, Joe, why don't you tell me a little bit about how that happened, and then I'll get to uh, J.G. if he's still awake. Uh, you well, know, uh, <laughs> it'd that. be still awake. That's <laughs> yeah, I, my balls. I told you I would. Anyway, yeah, Joe, sorry, go ahead. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's a. Uh... Oh yeah, it's a uh... failed state update has become a many-headed hydra. I guess hydras are by definition many-headed. Um, yeah, so you know, I started this newsletter when we got confirmation in 2020 that the world was falling apart and the United States is falling apart and that we were in the, you know, we were definitely in a failed state on the move. So I started this newsletter just kind of like, you know, JG and I are colleagues and we're embedded in Pittsburgh, both of us, which I think gives us a bo- both a unique and interesting perspective. Um, so I started this newsletter just like, talk about parapolitics, talk about politics, politics, talk about what I see happening in the Rust Belt. Right. And, you know, that became a podcast, that became a website, failedstateupdate.com. And, um, uh, you know, I just, things are getting out of my control, and um, I needed some help with the podcast, and JG is, you know, an excellent interviewer, excellent, gets excellent guests, and is really knowledgeable, so... We kind of retooled the the uh, podcast a little bit, so mm-hmm. we kind of do edit uh, alternating interviews. I'll interview someone, and then the next episode he'll interview someone. But then we both host it, so we both set up the interview, and then we both give some analysis or just shoot the shit really afterwards. Right. So that's the new uh, failed state update podcast, and I, you know, it's been going gangbusters. People really seem to like it, and um, I've really enjoyed doing it. It got me excited about podcasting again because. Just being the lone guy talking to strangers <laughs> over Skype is kind of boring, I think. It's just not for me, but... Um, so, yeah, so that's the outlines of the project right there. Gotcha. And, you know, you're you're very quirky, and, uh, like, you, your style is unique, as I've told you before, as a journalist, as a writer, as a podcaster, but uh, why not double down on unique J.G. Michael? Because the <laughs> guy... Uh, you know, I've said it before. Look, I wouldn't necessarily do parallax views. That's not the show I would do. Obviously, I do what I do. But the thing is, I mean, if you don't respect what he's doing, I, 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 I you know, look, there, there's a room over there with a rug and some cookies. I mean, you're not very smart if you don't realize that JG's doing some very interesting stuff uh, and really getting in depth uh, on some topics that a lot of other people would fear uh, and getting into some guests that are are relevant. Uh, all the time and always doing it with a very unique style. So, you know, Parallax Views is just one of those cool podcasts. I've said, I've said it several times. And indeed, he's even been responsible for helping me get a few people on the show. The The most recent uh, uh, individual was uh, the guy. <laughs> I love this, by the way. The the guy who did the, the movie The Pizzagate Massacre. And by the way, I, I absolutely love that movie now. <laughs> like, I saw the trailer. I said, I got to see this. I got to talk to this guy, and I went to JG, and he says, yeah, no problem, man. He's always been really cool with me about stuff like that, too, despite the fact that he fell asleep last time he was scheduled to be on the show. Um, so, anyway, JG, I, I, I'm now done with uh, busting your chops, but told you I would. Um, yeah, so, I mean, what did you think? I mean, you guys are both from Pittsburgh, so, I mean, there might be a... Oh, well, a, a cultural confluence there to some degree, but you and Flatley are, are different guys for sure. So that's that's a really, really fascinating dynamic. I wouldn't have thought of it, honestly, but it's a great combination. Uh, so uh, what, what's your side of the story there for going over to the failed state update? I think it works out quite well. 
because I, I think Flatley and I have uh, slightly different styles, maybe. Um, sometimes I think uh, Flatley grounds me a little bit. I, I can get way too into uh, abstractions and, and like, oh, this philosophical thing. And I, I think Joseph has a tendency to ground me a bit. And I, I really like the aspect of the banter that um, Flatley and I have. We do an intro for the show and then we do uh, a sort of after the interview segment where we talk about what we thought of the interview. And I think there's a real interesting dynamic there because we both, I think, have similar views in a lot of ways, but we also have different ways of approaching the same topics. I don't know if mm. you'd say that's a good way of looking at it, Joseph, but... Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I don't know if this is a Pittsburgh thing or what, but, you know, I would say Parallax Views and what I do has always been kind of leftist adjacent, you know? Like, right. I don't work for Jacobin, but, you know, it's like <laughs> right. a lot of the same similar topics and interests, and I and JG definitely is in that realm, but podcasts don't have to be boring and leftists don't have to be boring and i don't understand why there are so many boring podcasts but uh dare i say fail state update is not boring and uh you know jg's a funny guy i have my opinions and you know it's great to kind of go toe to toe on some of these topics of um you know american decline now i can't say that i don't feel a little bit like i failed my audition because you and i used to do something called the bad ideas <laughs> department which sounds a little similar in uh <clears throat> uh uh what's what shall we call that uh um, structure <laughs> where we do an intro we play a little interview you get to hear that of course you were always doing the interviews but yeah. uh and then we would do commentary afterwards a bit of banter Never knew where that was going to go. Oh, my dude. <laughs> yeah. You're, I, you're not even going to believe it. It never occurred to me that we were doing the same thing. as <laughs> that never. I thought this was like a brilliant idea that I had. It's, it's okay, but now, now you see the similarity. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Except maybe I was a little less left-wing adjacent than JG is. Um but, you know, I leave that to the judgment of the listener. I don't want to claim a spot on the left or the right. <laughs> so I just, I have no desire for either. Uh, uh, so that's where I'm at. But, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that, too. I was like, wow, okay, actually, JG's a better choice <laughs> to do that with than me. <laughs> that's what I thought when I saw it. Um, but we had already sort of done that. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, no, but it's great. I love seeing these things evolve. And it makes so much good sense to have the two of you together uh, because, again, you are equally different and also uh, equally the same in that you're different from most people that are doing this, which will bore you to death on the left. I, I, I got to tell you, the, the right-wing guys are usually at least a little more entertaining, mm -hmm. you know, when they start screaming and crying and talking about their paranoias. And I don't know, you know, like you almost develop sympathy for them. Um, the left-wing people are just boring, usually. Just, I'm here yeah. to tell you what's right, and this is the right thing to do, even though I'm on the left, and we must at all times be... And, like, I'm asleep you know, already, dude. I, I can't do it. I just, you know... The, I think it's a class thing. Like, the, the lefty podcasts that I find boring, and I won't name any of them, because I still find them, the topic's fascinating, and I think they do good jobs, so I'm not out to, like... I got you. Bore shame anybody. I got you. But like bore shaming. <laughs> what the hell? Look it up. Go ahead, it's yeah. a real. It's a real cancelable. Offense. I believe you. Go ahead. 
<laughs> but you know, it's like, um, I think it comes from academia and like, cause my friends, you know, you, JG, the people I hang out with, they're all very just regular working class dudes. And we we're interested in the same stuff and we are, you know, but you gotta have a little bit of a sense of humor. I mean, I don't want to beat up on the left too much. Certainly people love those podcasts and stuff, but I notice a difference when I'm hanging out with those people. It's right. like, I, I just want to, you know, get back to the bar. I just want to get back to Gooskies and have a couple <laughs> brews. I don't need to, like, be... Amen to that. See, that, that that's how you know I'm also not on the left, because I guarantee you, you, me, and JG going to go shoot pool and, you know, maybe drink mm. a couple of beers, we would have a good time. Uh, <laughs> it would not. It would not be oh, boring. It's going to happen one of these days. One of these days, we've got to make it happen. I, I, yeah. You know, I don't mind Pittsburgh, by the way. I'll go visit. But if you guys come down this way, definitely, man. Got to do it. Um, well, one one so, of you has to drive, though. <laughs> go ahead, JG. I was going to say, to be fair, uh, you know, I, I do feel like, uh, flatly, we, we do sort of have a little bit to owe to lefty podcast world. I feel like, uh, you know, Chapo Trap House and the sort of I guess they're called the dirtbag left. They sort of open the doors for a more wild and wooly approach to left yeah. po- po- uh, politics in the mm, podcast world. Sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just, um, uh, you know, it's 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 something I've noticed, and it's honestly something I've not thought very seriously about. But, mm. you know, Chuck brought it up, so I'm going to talk. I, I, I got you. you, you exactly. Know, it's, you, it's impossible to listen to an NPR episode without falling asleep. Right. right. And notice, Chuck, I've been really good about not swearing. I've almost dropped F-bombs and sundry swears many, many times over the last 20 minutes, but I've stopped myself every time. Listen, I, I um, uh, points for improvements. I got you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, before we go any further and before I forget, because I know I'll get lost in something here with you guys, uh, you know, let's talk about the book, by the way, which is going to be featured on the, I, I keep threatening to do this video presentation on my, my newly formed bookshelf. Uh, and your book is on there and, uh, believe me, it's not there just because uh, I have it. Uh, I, I culled a bunch of things out of the books that people have sent me and stuff like that, which I don't know. People might take offense at, at a certain point, but your book <laughs> is going to remain on my shelf in, yes. uh, it, it, frankly, in the weird section. Uh, you know, <laughs> look, you got the JFK research section. You know that's going to come on my shelf. Uh, you have the general history and literature, uh, and your stuff is going to reside in that section that I don't know where else to put it. Uh, <laughs> and but it's <laughs> nice. really good. It's really good and stands out because it's this bright green color. Uh, and, and I do have oh. it, but not at arm's length at the moment. So maybe you could give everybody the full title of that book again and yeah, uh, yeah. remind uh, them. New Age yeah. Grifter, they sent you a physical copy? Sure did. <laughs> oh, that's good. Love Feral House. Like, fantastic underground pu- publisher, legendary. It's always been like, you know, when I was going to these weird conspiracy theory bookshops in my teens, in my youth, including my favorite one, which was a head shop that sold pot and, you know, pot paraphernalia, obviously not pot. It was illegal pot paraphernalia and conspiracy theory books. And Robert Anton Wilson actually named it the grassy knoll. 
Nice. So that was in Oakland in Pittsburgh. And ever since then, it was like, I got to get a book on Feral House. Someday I'll be a writer. And it happened in 2021. The book is New Age Grifter, the true story of Gabriel of Urantia and his cosmic family. And it's a deep dive into an obscure but very much alive and kicking uh, UFO cult in Arizona mm-hmm. founded by Tony from Pittsburgh. He, uh, you know, his his succession of wives left him. He couldn't get a break in the music business. So Tony from Pittsburgh kind of disappeared and reappeared in, as in Arizona, in mm. Sedona. And now he's Gabriel of Sedona. And he's got multiple wives. He's got a compound. He's got a radio station that plays his like terrible new age rock music. Um, Lenny, Lenny, real quick. Do you, uh-huh. do you think there's like anyone in Pittsburgh that's like, hey, whatever happened to Tony? And then they find out about Gabriel and they're just like, whoa. <laughs> well, actually, funny you should ask. I The reason I took this story on is because I was like, he's from Pittsburgh. I'm in Pittsburgh. It's going to be really easy. I won't have to travel. Lots of people will know him and tell me stories. Right. They are all freaked out and embarrassed and will not talk about him. <laughs> it's like I've like, you know, gone to people's houses and knocked on their doors and stuck, you know, business cards in their mailbox and called them and called them. And they just don't want to know. Um, right. Right. It's like he's that embarrassing and weird. It's just like he was my buddy. And now he's like the new age grifter. <laughs> Right, And the great uh, thing about this is you did this uh, podcast on it called The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, and uh, that was excellent, first of all. But uh, secondly, the book goes further, and it's not even a big, huge, thick book. It's it's actually one of the thinner ones on the shelf, Um, and it's really well done. Uh, again, in the unique style that you have, which uh, which I appreciated even when you put out those pseudo-zine kind of uh, uh, mm-hmm. pieces. I thought yeah. those were great because they just looked like a throwback all by themselves. But uh, then again, I could sympathize. I mean, if someday you were to turn your investigative uh, journalist powers to uh, my life for some reason, guaranteed there's people in Jersey that would be like, I'm not talking to you about him. Uh, and, uh, indeed I was a failed musician, uh, you know, who had a couple of wives. So, you know, I'm just saying maybe I'd have a few sympathies, but not when I start reading Flatley's work on this, I don't, uh, it's, it's like, oh man, this guy is so strange and so well ignored by many people who even are, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want to call them cult followers of cults, mm-hmm. but there yeah. are people out there that are very much invested, it seems, uh, when it comes to their journalistic pursuits about following people like this. And they ignored this guy. This guy is entirely fascinating. I mean, that radio commercial, by the way, when we were talking about the <laughs> yes. the radio commercial they broadcast from a radio station, do they do they own it, right? They yes, own the yes, one radio? They're, they're a radio station that they own, and they built just a play his music because no other radio station ever would in a million years <laughs> and if you hear the music you know why but the 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 fact that they have this commercial to like recruit people into the cult on the radio station it's like it is the creepiest weirdest thing what, what was it come come ye and join or something oh yeah it was like come hither or come yeah it was some like, sort of like pseudo biblical it's, it's not as good as uh sun and his orchestra no. No one knows what I'm talking about. No. Uh, yeah, people know what you're talking about. The difference is Sun Ra was a genius. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Gabriel Urantia 
is no Sun Ra. Let's well, put it that way. And look, Jim, was sort of like. <laughs> and, and Jim Jones produced much better choir music. Um, mm-hmm. yes. You know, it, it, and um, mm-hmm. and Mark Jacobson, friend of the show, um, excellent journalist and bio- William Cooper biographer, wrote the intro to to New Age Grifter, and he. Uh, you know, and the inch, whole introduction is about like the cosmic Woodstock of like where would Gabriel fit, you know, between like Manson and Jim Jones and all these figures, and and he mm. decided that he wouldn't rank that very high, that he would he would fit at the bottom. No, he's definitely like you know, if, if this was baseball, he's playing in you know maybe Double A, as opposed right. to the major leagues. I mean, this is a guy. Yeah, I played Double A baseball. Yeah, never heard of you. Um, I mean, this is pretty much where he should stand. But again, somehow longevity in the cult world, uh-huh. you know, which is the weird, another weird aspect to this. But, of course, you guys can learn all about it, New Age Grifter. And, uh, you know, if you haven't turned around and checked out the podcast, uh, The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, I advise you to go get all the episodes that you can because, uh, man, it is it is more than entertaining and informative. Uh, again, quirky style of Joseph L. Flatley intact the entire time, uh, which which I love, by the way. And, uh, you know, speaking of quirky, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's turn over to JG for a second uh, directly, because, uh, as I mentioned, the um, the Pizzagate massacre that I- I'm telling you, man, really serious that 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 it was a great, great turn on right there. Uh, you interviewed the director and a guy who acted in it. <laughs> right. Um, briefly, and I love the role he chose to play in that movie, by the way, it's, it's hilarious to me that that's the guy behind the movie. Um, and, and (laughs) I don't know if you heard the interview I did with him. I'm sure it was very, very different. I did listen to your interview with him. I, I, I was joking with John, uh, John Valley who directed it. And, and as you said, stars in it. And I, I, I told him after I interviewed him, I said, you know, we just did two hours and 10 minutes. I, I feel like this is strange because this is actually longer than the running length of the movie. Um, I think he kept it a bit more compact. And in some ways, I, I think he did a better job uh, in that way because, you know, uh, who has time to listen to a two-hour podcast? Well, see, that's what I would have thought. But, uh, you know, some people do. Uh, and <laughs> the thing with him, though, was that that, that is a, a serious piece of art. I mean, to me. Because I, I I meant to ask you about these things and was holding it until I could get you on the show, but the the best thing about this is probably the cinematography as opposed to even the script writing, um, which again look it's clearly not you know a level Hollywood glam gloss you know, uh, but he but manages. But it looks professional as hell. Well, it looks professional as hell. But the weird thing to me is it reminds me of something I would have pulled out of a VHS bin. When I was a kid, like, here's a good, crazy movie to watch with my friends, <laughs> right? It, and it actually looks and kind of feels like it's something that was, you know, camcorder-age independent film, but way professional at the same time. Did you get that sense of, like, this is, like, almost a throwback sort of piece of cinema when you saw it? Definitely, definitely. I. It reminded me a lot of, like, the uh, the old John Carpenter movies... And it sort of had a road movie vibe to it, so I was I was sort of thinking of uh, a lot of the old Sam Peckinpah type films, you know, 
bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia and other cult classics like that. It definitely had that vibe of, you know, if I would have seen it in a video store when I was, you know, 13 or whatever, I would have been like, whoa, what's this? You know, right. It, just, it would have caught my eye. Um, I definitely got that impression. And this this leads me to saying, uh, Lenny, when are we going to get uh, New Age Grifter turned into a movie? I, I feel like John Waters could do it justice. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I can't talk about that, actually. We'll talk off, off the air. Oh, okay. Ooh, I, okay. I knew nothing. Good, good teaser, and apparently JG didn't know. So, okay, we'll we'll leave it there. But uh, <laughs> that sounds like an interesting movie. Although I, I gotta say that this week I was exposed to something called Crackhead Jesus. So uh, you know the the strange cinema is endless out there if you're looking for it. Just so you know, um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. The uh, the serial killer no, but doctor. I just googled it. I'm like, I got I got to see something called Crackhead Jesus. Yeah, uh, Victor Hugo Vaca was uh, the <laughs> guest of, uh, and he's the director of that short film. Uh, was was the guest of Donald Jeffries yesterday, and I got to tell you, my head's still sort of spinning from the guy. Um, nice. And uh, the the film is uh, truly a bizarre piece of work that. I, I almost feel like I want to suggest it to you for an article, uh, uh, Joe, nice, <laughs> because nice. it's it's that bizarre. And I know you love to go, hey, look, you know how you think things are strange in the news? Let me show you what's really strange. Uh, <laughs> I love how you do that. Uh, and, and JG's, uh, you know, unconventional again, maybe a little more enthusiasm. And I, I could see. I can't imagine Joe grounding a lot of people, but grounding JG actually makes perfect sense. So all of that, (laughs) I love both of these guys, by the way, just in case anybody's even guessing. Um, And I I appreciate their style, which is far different than my own. But um, okay. So let's, let's get back to this a little bit more. Um, What is coming up on, well, let's start with parallax views because I'm always fascinated by the, uh, interesting guests uh that you get because you pay about as much uh, attention to convention as i do when it comes to does it make sense that you brought this guest on and this guest no no it doesn't if if you're trying to put me in a box it does not work but uh, if you understand the thought process yeah it does so um i i get where you're going a lot of times again even though i wouldn't venture there what do you got coming up on parallax views that uh people want to be on the uh lookout for Oh, I've got um, a bunch of episodes coming out. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, I think an episode that would be of particular interest to your audience, Chuck, is I just had uh, Matt Alford and Tom Secker, uh, who famously wrote a book called National Security Cinema. Mm -hmm. They have a new documentary coming out, I believe in March. It was supposed to come out on Valentine's Day, but they've pushed it back. Uh, It's a documentary called Theaters of War, which is about uh, the Pentagon and the CIA's involvement in Hollywood over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, And they even managed to get Oliver Stone in the documentary to talk about this. So it's a really interesting conversation we had about all the different movies that the Pentagon has been involved in from, you know, Black Hawk Down to, well, believe it or not, uh, a newer movie, Don't Look Up, the movie that a lot of leftists are big fans of because it deals with climate oh change. But it turns out it's uh, it's got DOD 
uh, support behind it, which is I guess so. If they're going through into the Pentagon and stuff, it's like, I mean, they could they could do a Doctor Strange love thing and have you know and build the uh, the war room on a soundstage in in London or something. But I'm sure they were dealing well, with the that, That's the thing, though, it, mm. is uh, people will say, well, you know, it doesn't really have an effect on like the movies themselves. Uh, they're, they're just uh, you know using the Pentagon's equipment, which isn't true. Like, the Pentagon will say, um, you know, something along the lines of, oh, we, we're just making sure that everything's historically accurate. But oh, then yeah. you look at, um, for instance, uh, the, the TV show NCIS. Uh, they were actually told to change an entire script, or maybe it was that they were given a script by the Pentagon dealing with um, sexual assault in the military. And the way the Pentagon wanted them to portray it was that, oh, it's it's actually this survivor not wanting to talk about the abuse that's the problem. And, you know, these good leaders in the mm. Pentagon and then the military, they, they want uh, they want the truth and they would handle this well when, you know, the reality, it seems like in real life has been that, you know, it's it's been about pushing a lot of these scandals to the side. So mm. in a way, you know, this relationship between Hollywood and the Pentagon and also on the other end of that the CIA with uh, Chase Brandon actually affects uh, the movies we watch you know a movie like Iron Man started out as having Tony Stark go to war with the military industrial complex by the time the Pentagon got involved with that movie uh, you know the screenplay changed entirely and Mm. you know it becomes pretty pro-military yeah (laughs) <laughs> so, um, did you have Alex Walker on, on your show? Am I remembering uh, that correctly? Uh, I I haven't had Alex Walker. I'm not familiar. I mean, I'm sorry, Alex Walker, Alex Cox, director of Walker. Yes, Alex Cox. I have had on the show. Yeah, we've uh, talked about, um, the Parallax View. Actually, the movie. Nice. Well, he has a great book. If anybody's like a wannabe filmmaker, it's called Ten Films. It's okay. like letter x and then the word films and it's just like his diary making like his first 10 films and he tells the story in walker which you know was about the america's involvement in nicaragua and a lot of it was supposed to be filmed in nicaragua mm-hmm. and then it was supposed to be filmed in mexico and then i don't remember exactly where it ended up being but um to like in order to film in mexico because it was you know it was 1984 1986 it was still basically a a catholic uh you know a uh authoritarian state um so heavy censorship so they had to like give the script to the censor to like get the okay to film the movie and he said that the censor was like he had been doing it for so long he just had a really great sense of like pacing and story structure and like just gave them a lot of notes that really improved the script so strange you never know what you're going to get with the censor yeah well and and there you go a guy who's so familiar with having to edit these things already might say you know i got some other edits to suggest (laughs) because i've already seen this go different ways uh it's funny stuff i mean have you guys ever encountered uh you know and jg maybe during this whole thing with uh with secker and all did uh seven days in may come up during that discussion at all? Seven Days in May did not come up, but I want to have Tom on again to talk about that. Okay. Uh, although I, I was able to shoehorn the one thing I wanted to talk about with Tom for like a year now on my podcast, which is why the Pentagon rejected 
Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They literally rejected that film. They did. And that it's will always story. blow my mind until the end of time because, wow, what a stick up their butt do they have to have to I, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? I will never understand that myself. Uh, like, that's, you know, I mean, clearly that's the, uh, you know, the typical go-to when it's like, oh, let's talk about terrible movies. Uh, you know, you, you Well, up... it wasn't, they didn't even reject it because it had anything to do with the Pentagon. Uh, the Pentagon said, well, this, you know, mocks the White House. Well, I didn't like. I don't know. It's not mocking the Pentagon. Why do you care? You, you'd think, but you know, uh, you're you're asking for logic out of uh, you know people that yeah. have policies. I mean, it's just but that, that was simple. an '80s movie, right? That was like early '80s. I think it was even the. I think it was I, the I think '70s. It was the '70s. Oh, was it the yeah. '70s? Because yeah. my my theory was that if it was mocking the Carter White House, it would be okay. But the Reagan White House, <laughs> they have problems. But it could be put a lie to that theory. But then again, you know, if it was, you know, Ford, I mean, you know, come on, give the guy a break already. And uh, if it was, you know, if it was Nixon, uh, who knows, maybe they ended up on the enemies list. Uh, so, you know, 70s. But Carter, no, I don't think the Carter administration would have been that worried about it. You know, they were too busy uh, uh, trying to put the wrong guy in at the CIA. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, I don't I don't think they had a handle on that kind of stuff. They weren't, you know in lockstep with one another, the Pentagon and the Carter administration, obviously. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot more to it, though. It's just uh, interesting. Seven Days in May, though, is one of those things that uh, I've always been fascinated by because some people in passing, you know, bring up the whole thing about Kennedy letting them film, uh, you know, in the White House, uh, specifically being away so they could, uh, which he didn't have to do and all that. And it's kind of a fascinating story to me. Um, but, uh, but I've never, you know, never, never had a good dissection of that whole thing. Uh, but like I said, people mention it in passing all the time. Right. So anyway, you know what's weird to me is, uh, seven days in May is a great movie, but it, it reminded me now that, um, you know, all of a sudden I hear a lot more people talking about general Smedley Butler and the whole, uh, wall street putsch, uh, right. the, the business plot. And I, I think of that because, you know, uh, Seven Days in May has a sort of uh, coup storyline to it. But it's really weird to me how all of a sudden everyone is talking about uh, the business plot uh, against FDR and how Gen General Smedley Butler foiled it. I, I guess this is because January 6th. Now it's become acceptable to talk about. But for years, everyone used to say, oh, that's kooky conspiracy stuff. I guess we want to get on that one. You know, I guess we're not the conspiracy people anymore. Yeah, and don't forget, I mean, that comes and goes in waves, the uh, the prominence of the, uh, you know, the war is a racket thing, because uh, if you recall, uh, around the time, say, uh, Alex Jones did the Obama deception, right, uh, mm -hmm. which was, you know, him coming into office and all that, so that's got to be, what, 2008, um, around there, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember the film coming out, and he mentions it in there, and was definitely mentioning it all the time, and all of his little clones did, so, you know, that was certainly something that was prominent for a while, eh, about 15 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, but then it sort of died out, people stopped paying attention to it, you know, how can you have a business plot, of course, Trump's here to save us all, so don't worry about it, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can Have you seen Executive Action, the Burt yeah. Lancaster movie? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, that. Now that I think is up there in the uh, the pantheon of assassination, JFK assassination. Is that films. the one that was written by Mark Lane? Yeah. 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 Donald okay. Freed. 
Yeah, it's like Dalton Trembo actually wrote the screenplay, but yeah, Donald Freed and Mark Lane wrote the the story. Yeah. You know what I used to have is a little handout that they gave out when that movie was in theaters. Uh, which, oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I didn't go to see it when it was in a theater. I was too young, but uh, later on somebody else handed me this thing, and it was like, this is what they used to give out at that movie uh, in certain mm-hmm. places, like, in, you know, because I was near New York, so... Uh, the benefit of people hanging on to things going, ah, I don't have any use for this, but you might be interested. So one day somebody handed me this thing and I was like, wow, there was a bunch of, uh, you know, articles on the, uh, JFK conspiracy. I mean, it's just, and it was just like this weird sort of, uh, photocopied thing, you know, 1970 style Xeroxing though, you know? Right. Uh, and it was like, huh, this is interesting that, you know, somebody was trying to use this as a way to gain awareness for all of the assassination research that had gone on, it looked like to me. Um, I even think uh, Mary Farrell might have actually been one of the articles that was copied into it uh, oh, nice. at the time. So, uh, and you know, and I, I kind of held on to it as a curiosity for some time. It might still be in my storage in Jersey, but I don't know. Um, it, you know, a lot of things have come and gone in my possession over the years. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, it, no, that's a fascinating story. And, uh, of course, uh, you mentioned Oliver Stone, J.G., a little while ago. A um, bit of a big to-do made about the recent uh, documentary there. Uh, however, it's had a little bit of difficulty getting distributed in the U.S. Uh, and uh, still waiting for them to put out a physical copy of the uh, four-hour version of it. But, uh, you know, because when they do, I definitely want one. Hint, hint, if anybody's listening. Um, I definitely want one. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll probably wind up buying it. But either way, uh, there, there's a whole, you know, interesting cinematic shift that's occurred regarding uh, conspiracy theory and conspiracy reality. And uh, the production of film and television as being uh, marshaled, in some cases, by government agencies is, uh, yeah, again, was something that people thought was, you know, just the fevered dreams of people that saw conspiracies everywhere. Right. But, uh, but over time, we're discovering, no, nah, there just may be something that goes on like that all the time. It is, um, it is so crazy when you look at uh, what Tom Secker and Matt Elford have done. <clears throat> just the amount of, I mean, I don't know how Tom Secker does it. I think he's actually referred to as a vexatious filer of FOIAs um, <laughs> by these agencies because they're like, why do you have to do this? Uh, but he has like thousands of documents, I think, at this point. I mean, he's uncovered thousands of movies, even now that are coming out that have some type of uh, connection to the DOD mm-hmm. uh, or in, in some cases the CIA. And it, it's so wild. I mean, even a uh, Suicide Squad was another one that came up recently that he got FOIA documents on. And I'm just thinking, wow, that this rabbit hole goes deep. Yeah. Well, and that's the fun part about FOIA documents. If nobody ever requests them, believe me, they're not going to just voluntarily drop them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they've really taken the teeth out of the uh, Freedom of Information Act, in my opinion, uh, over the past few years, you know, it, it, it doesn't bite as hard as it did, but it still kind of works. So... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Mac McGee, I don't know. If, I know you've spoken to Laura Johnston Cole. Um, I'm just, my, my, my mental Rolodex is going through all the people in the like mm. Jonestown, former Jonestown community. Um, but, uh, 
Mac McGee, who run who co-founded the Jonestown Institute with Rebecca Moore, he um he says that like he's been like the day after Jonestown, so November nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight, he started filing FOIA requests. Right. So he's like the longest, most successful, most prolific FOIA person I know. Mm-hmm. And he said what they do now is they just it's like well, it was twofold. First, they just sent you everything so you could never go hope to go through it. Right. And then as soon as COVID hit, they just stopped responding to all requests. They said, you know, COVID exists. We could never, you know, respond to your, your FOIA requests. And it's like, yeah, there has to be a way for like one lone researcher in a, in a basement somewhere to not, you know. To not get sick with COVID if they, they you know, check your request. Well, you it's got, obviously total BS. you got to remember, on a grander scale, just, just this uh, past year, right, we, we got some more JFK uh, assassination-related documents dumped because of the JFK uh, Records Collection mm-hmm. Act. And, you know, 25 years after this stuff was uh, set to be released, Trump turns around and gives in and says, oh, you need more time? Okay, kicks it down the road. Biden grabs it, pretty much agrees again, and adds that, uh, well, you know, the we're, we're going to have to further delay these things because of COVID. Yeah, hey, not, so... not to not to change <laughs> subjects here, but yeah. have you guys heard about this stuff with Trump and him ripping up like presidential records? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just I, I was talking to uh, Lindsay Travinsky today, who is a presidential historian. She's like, this is completely wild that he was. He was literally trying to uh, flush them down the toilet. Uh, yeah. But apparently Trump wants us to know the truth, uh, or so his supporters tell me. Uh. Well, you know, and the funny thing about that is anybody who's a presidential historian will tell you that sometimes this does happen where a document is ripped up and some poor fool has to reconstruct it. Uh, oh, sure. You know, <laughs> and, and, but in this case, it was like, you know, literal, like, uh, uh, tirades of tearing up many documents, apparently, which is a little unusual. I mean, you know, occasionally something out of frustration or whatever gets torn up. And, uh, you know, presidential records collection is a really, really arduous task because. Yeah. Wasn't there a oh. story about like, like when Trump just got into office and he didn't understand how things worked, like he would like they would have people like go into the Oval Office after he went to bed at 6 p.m. and like go through the trash bin and take out all the documents and tape them back together so they could submit them. Or whatever. Yeah, apparently somebody was trying to do the... Because legally, every document that's produced in the White House in the course of presidential business mm-hmm. is supposed to be preserved, um, which is really, really tough, too, because some of this stuff is now digital. That literally means that every tweet that Trump produced as a president should be collected as part of his presidential records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just saying it's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of covefe. That's a lot of, uh, you know, That's you're a, a loser. Lot of you're a loser. This one's terrible. They're <laughs> sick. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm voicing it now, but we, we read this for, you know, five years and all of it is actually now relevant. You know, um, going through Kennedy's stuff, you find, you know, incomplete letters and all kinds mm-hmm. of, you know, really pointless things that they collected. Uh, and you know, I don't even know how anybody, 
really regulates that where it's like you know how do you know that everything that was written down wasn't you know how do you know that some of it wasn't destroyed i i i always wonder about the check marks on that because that's never been entirely clear even though there's well, people Chuck, that are employed. I, I was gonna yeah i was actually gonna ask you if i could real quick sure um uh, i i was thinking about that today in terms of uh you know i i assume there were actually documents shredded uh when, you know, the church committee was going after, you know, the CIA and, and different agencies. I think that was even confirmed that, like, there, there's a lot of MKUltra documents that haven't survived. But oh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Yeah, well, see, now, when you get into the CIA's documents versus the president, it's a different thing, first of all. Um, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, but, but secondly, when, when you're talking about the document shredding, a remarkable thing about this whole thing with MK Ultra is that, frankly, they destroyed almost all the documents. They they just forgot to destroy the financial stuff, and somebody mm -hmm. had to uh, forensically reconstruct what happened from the financial documents. That uh, if Dulles had remembered to destroy them, we might have no concrete proof about MK Ultra. Honestly, right. um, yeah, yeah, and um, that's. What one of the things that's so vexing about understanding MK Ultra is like we were literally trying to like surmise what happened in this program with like just seeing the very, very tippy top of the iceberg. You know, it's like it's almost impossible, I think, to really know the full extent either way. That's why, you know, people who are trying to like talk about it as if nothing ever happened or people that are mm. trying to talk about it as if, you know. Roseanne Barr was targeted in the eighties or whatever. Well, you know, it's like they're all it's like they're all just making shit up. It's it's yeah. It's almost impossible. Well, and the other problem again, just slightly against your point, but the other problem here that actually makes it worse mm. is that frankly, CIA programs they're 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 it's like it's like having hamsters that are male and yeah. female in a cage. They keep making others. You know, MK Ultra gave birth to MK Delta, MK Naomi, uh, you know, and various other programs that we know of, and guaranteed there were other programs that that are still as yet unknown. Uh, like I, 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 I would bet on it with anything you wanted to bet. I would bet. That, oh yeah, uh, I mean, you know, if, yeah. you know, although it didn't happen on purpose, the the fact that the scant few documents about MK ultra did survive is like the smartest thing the CIA could have done because everybody's obsessed with that. Right. Nobody's talking about the torture programs, all the, you know, the, all the things that weren't these like obscure novel, weird attempts at mind control that the CIA did right. and continues to do. So it's like, it's the perfect smoke screen. Well, and then it takes us decades to dig through things like Operation Phoenix and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's the other thing is don't forget that, you know, simultaneously, uh, the Pentagon is running their own programs. Mm -hmm. So it's not mm -hmm. just the CIA. That's always a weird thing, too. When people say, oh, you know, the OSS became the CIA, that's not even as simple as that. Uh, there were three different agencies that were folded into the CIA and nobody even talks about uh, one of them at all. Uh, which is commonly referred to as the pond, uh, which was a whole separate institution. And the OSS was kind of in competition with the CIA at first and eventually got folded into it, uh, was defunded, so to speak. And uh, some of the OSS people <laughs> did not take to it too well going into the CIA. There there's a whole weird story there even. 
Uh, and oh, yeah, nobody even knew that the pond existed in 2001 until like 2001. Right. So like, how many other ponds are there? You know. Well, that's the thing, and, and there, there's uh, you know various other adjunct programs that were just born out of necessity in certain locations. Uh, like you know, th- there might have been something that was formulated on the ground in a, a place like Laos or Cambodia mm-hmm. that nobody talks about. Because, you know, none of those documents survived or nobody's asked the DOD for them. Uh, Again, Freedom of Information Act stuff aside, you have to know what you're asking for and where Mm -hmm. you're asking for it. And how to ask for it. And how. Yeah. um, That actually, so much of this just reminds me of our recent recent episode, JG's and mine. Uh, We did um, Jim Brewer from the UFO Trail appeared on the last episode. Jack Brewer. Jack Brewer. Yeah, Jim Brewer's and, the uh, comedian. I was going to say, wait a minute, you got that guy on? Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no, we got Jim Brewer to talk about you. <laughs> that would be really remarkable, but okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, I'm about three deep into the Iron Cities, so... Um, cool. It's all right. Sorry, Jack. Uh, but, I mean, that was the whole thing. That was, like, the whole thing with the, uh, the intelligence community uh, interface with NICAP and with the, U- the UFO community is it's just, like... If you have half a dozen ad hoc programs run by, you know, mavericks, for lack of a better word, like Richard Doty, um, not only could that be much more destructive than like an official CIA program, but nobody will ever trace that. It'll be completely invisible to history. Right. Well, that's the thing is that some things will remain invisible to history without a little bit of luck, too. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, unfortunately, or, or we'll only learn about them years after the fact. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you guys heard about that new documentary that came out. I think it was like a Danish radio uh, documentary uh, called "The Search for Myself." Mm-hmm. It was about um, the CIA conducting MK Ultra experiments in, of all places, Copenhagen. Yes, and, um, it, it involved orphans in in these uh, Danish orphans in Copenhagen, and. You know, it's weird because no one talks about this, you know, big new documentary. I mean, it should have been, you know, I would think it would have been interesting to all these people that are really into MKUltra. But instead, people talk about this sensationalistic, um, softcore garbage uh, like uh, Project Monarch, which I, I'm sorry, I don't believe it exists. Well, of course it doesn't exist. But like, or they'll take, you know, the Danish thing and be like, see, the finders were really... satanic child abusers and it's like Uh, nobody's actually you know i mean the conspiracy community our community which i love and you know have been involved in for many many years is also complete garbage (laughs) it's so frustrating you know it's it's got a lot yeah exactly i love it and hate it too and it's got a lot of garbage in it unfortunately i'll tell you the weirdest as we're running out of time here the weirdest uh uh recent drop of somebody even mentioning mk ultra for me was Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if you're familiar with the story of rose sheremy uh either uh, jg do you know rose sheremy was yeah, so in the movie, in Oliver Stone's GFK, right. at the beginning, the character that's like, they're going to kill the president, Right. that's based on Jeremy, yeah. Exactly. That's based on Jeremy. It's not a composite character. It's based on a story about her directly. Do you, Joe, know who Rose Jeremy is? You, you know that story, no, basically? not at all. I'm 
reading her right up on Spartacus Educational right now. Okay, fair enough. But anyway, she was, uh, in short, she was a, a dope runner and a whore that worked for Jack Ruby. And uh, and she was in a car with some guys days before the assassination. Oh, or, yeah, I remember this. Who were talking about doing it. Um, and uh, and she gets thrown out of the car, left left on the side of the road anyway, not necessarily thrown out of the car like in the movie. But either way, gets into an argument with these guys at a bar, gets left on the side of the road, ends up wandering, gets hit by a car, ends up in a hospital. Okay. Um, and she tells uh, law enforcement people that it's going to happen before it happens. So I had on her son uh, oh, just wow. just the other night who wrote a book about it, uh, a book about his mom. He he spent a very long time researching, tracking down what happened. Uh, it's a very interesting and, and, you know, interesting from a personal perspective, but also in that he goes deep into the story of his mother, who is Rose Jeremy, uh, who had a different legal name, by the way. But, uh, but anyway. No, I, I wanted to ask real quick, does he go beyond just that one aspect of the story because it seems like there's a lot of different threads that he could be untangling way beyond it um the uh yes yeah, it's, it's called rose Jeremy uh gathering fallen petals is the name of the book uh and it is deep now i didn't read the whole book by the time i got him on the show because i got it the day before but uh, but i knew the story enough and i skimmed through thing is though it, one of the things he mentions in there and I am I did not track it down or double check what he asserts, but he actually feels as though she might have been part of MK Ultra experimentation at a certain point. Um, you know, and I find these odd threads that show up in different places. And, and by the way, Michael Marcades is his name. Uh, he's done really a good job of real research. This is not a guy clicking on links on the internet. You understand? This is a guy who went and got the paperwork, who went and met with people, who actually collected the physical documents, who went and got medical records, et cetera, et cetera. His research is, to my opinion, exactly the old school kind of research that used to get real solid work done, except he's done it on his mother. Um, and uh, a really, really fascinating story in and of itself, but that's the weirdest extra drop. And a lot of times you find these weird kind of like add-ons uh, and, and some people, I think, do it, you know, for effect. Other people, I think, legitimately feel as though they've stumbled across something. And mm -hmm. I, I have not judged what Michael Marcades came up with yet, but I will explore it on the show. Uh, and in fact, JG, I would suggest that uh, Michael Marcades might be a good guest for you. Uh, yeah, get me point. in touch with him. Definitely. Oh, you know who would be a good guest for me? Failed State Update. Who's that? Chuck Ocelli. I, I have some, like, very <laughs> serious questions about... Not just the JFK assassination, but more importantly, like the JFK research community. Oh boy! I want to like get to the bottom of it. Get to the bottom of some of these hey, questions. Well, you know, you know who you should uh, you should talk to Chuck about uh, some of the crazy, uh, you know, patriot or P A Y triot uh, mm -hmm. movement stuff because uh, Chuck has an insight into a lot of that scam artist uh, BS. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that too. But I have like very. You know, I think that, like, the JFK assassination is fascinating because it's, like, mm -hmm. not only is it the—I mean, it's of historical import. So, like, there's no doubt about that. Right. But on top of that, it's, like, it's the, the like, defining conspiracy that spawned this movement. And I think kind of understanding that scene can not only tell you what, like, what the conspiracy— 
scene has brought to history, but also like how it's kind of like damaged history by like promoting a lot of dingbats. So yeah, I, I really yeah. want to like get into your brain, Chuck. Get into the mind of Chuck Atelli. Listen, I'll be more than happy to do it whenever you're ready. Uh, let me know. And I agree mm-hmm. with your uh, your your thesis statement to begin with, just so you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of damage done and also a lot of good work done simultaneously mm-hmm. uh, through this very, very weird sort of uh, uh, thing that is the assassination research com- community <laughs> concerned with JFK. A lot of, uh, lot of ins and outs on that. And uh, yeah, no black and white, though. A lot of gray area, mm-hmm. my friend. Mm-hmm. A lot of gray area. Anyway, before we uh, run way over time... Joseph L. Flatley. Now, I know we can find your stuff at LennyFlatley.net. I know we can find both of you now at FailedStateUpdate.com. Am I missing any other websites uh, that uh, you would want to tell us about Joseph L. Flatley? Uh, no, go to FailedStateUpdate.com for the news, the new uh, Failed State Update website. Um, and I guess LennyFlatley.substack.com. That's oh, my substack, newsletter. Yeah. Um, if you want to kick in a few bucks that would be great i desperately need it if you do that whenever i do like a large investigative feature or report i will you'll get it before it goes on the website if you don't want to kick in any money because you're a son of a bitch or you're just broke <laughs> that's fine too um sign up for free and, and you'll get weekly updates of everything that's on the site Right. And also, I would advise you to buy the book, which is uh, New Age Grifter. It Mm. is the one with the green cover, and I like the physical copy. It's on Feral House, and I'll give you the uh, links to all that. But meanwhile, J.G. Michael, I'm probably going to give something of your social media. And I used to give out, uh, what was it, the uh, Parallax Views uh, Podbean page. But uh, is there anything else new besides also (laughs) they can go find you at Failed State Update now? Because uh, failedstateupdate.com is the place to go for uh, for the podcast. But it's also available where a lot of other podcasts are as well. You know, kind of like this show. And uh, so is yours. But anything else that we need to point out to people, J.G. Michael? Yeah, real quick. Um, if people could go to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Uh, I just had a donor or two dip out, um, a patron or two dip out, so... I'm looking for some new people that, you know, would be willing to kick me a few dollars maybe. Uh, it's it's tough, as uh, uh, Flatly said. So I, I would really appreciate it. Um, I do about three to four shows a week, and I hope everyone enjoys those shows. And also, if I can, I just want to plug the fact that I interviewed Roger Waters uh, last week uh, from oh. Pink Floyd. And uh, it was funny, Chuck, because I was thinking of you during that interview. Uh, me and him were supposed to talk... Uh, well, it was a three-way call with uh, a Professor Soot Jolly on as well, but uh, Roger was supposed to talk about Israel-Palestine and, and his activism with relation to that, uh, but he ended up going off about how much he hates the 1% and how uh, Republicans and Democrats are the same, and I just thought to myself, he is a loose cannon, much like my friend Chuck Ocelli. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Roger Waters and me, apparently... You never know what you're going to get when you make a call with us. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) J.G. Michael and Joseph L. Flatley, my guests in the second hour on the Ocelli Effect tonight. Michael Swanson in the first hour. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a hell of a Thursday. Check out all their stuff online and elsewhere. And remember this, I am merely Ocelli. All of you are indeed the effect. Good night.